RadioInfluence.com. As America's zone coach, premier thought leader, and the world's number one coach of champions, Jim Fannin is the go-to person. He has guided the careers of the best pro athletes from 10 sports and business executives from 50 industries. He has coached individuals, families, relationships, and students in simplifying and balancing their lives for more than 40 years. From winning Wimbledon, the World Series, and a gold medal, to losing 68 pounds, saving lost marriages, or overcoming financial ruin, Jim Fannin has been behind the scenes guiding individuals through the intricate process of peak performance. His success tools are not just for the superstar. They're designed to help you reach your full potential as you tap into life's most successful mindset, the zone. And now, please welcome the coach of champions and America's zone coach, Jim Fannin. Hello, everybody. This is Jim Fannin. Welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. My name is Seth, Jim's sidekick and producer here on America's Most Positive Podcast. Jim, what's on your mind? The underdog. I, I've been thinking about the underdog quite a bit. Uh, I've been thinking about success is getting up one more time from defeat. It's a never-ending proposition. Uh, and then I've been thinking about pickles. <laughs> Pick uh, like dill or bread and uh, butter? Or? Uh, no, I've been thinking about a dog named Pickles. I saw this story in the news and I thought, wow, talk about an underdog. This is a five pound uh, dog. Uh, it, it's a little poodle, little black curly hair poodle, uh, living with uh, uh, a mom and uh, two kids in North Carolina, Blue Ridge Mountains. And, uh, one morning uh, last week, the mom woke up to take Pickle out, you know, outside uh, to do its business, if you will, and she left the door open, and a black bear, which is very unusual because usually bears are uh, afraid of people. Yeah, uh, a black bear walked right into the house, and the mom uh, was terrified instantly. And instead of running to her kids, she yelled at her kids to shut their bedroom door. And she went and hid behind the couch, and the bear, about 150, 200 pounds, uh, aggressively uh, came after the mom inside their home, which is oh amazing. Gosh. And then here comes Pickles. Pickles, all five pounds, uh, comes in and starts barking, uh, chasing the bear. And the bear, uh, in a panic of uh, the loud noise of this little tiny dog, uh, Pickles got the bear to go out the door, outside. Uh, a skirmish did ensue, and it did not end up very well for Pickles. Uh, Pickles, unfortunately, uh, later died from the injury. Pretty amazing story. That's an underdog. It's a literal underdog. That is but. an underdog. Five pounds going against a 105-pound, 200-pounder. But, you know, when you have a, a job to do and you have a conviction of protecting the family, and this is my turf. This is not uh, your turf. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And so Pickles definitely it has to go down as a hero. But this is the story of an underdog prevailing uh, and uh, saving a family from all, all kinds of harm. So uh, this show dedicated to Pickles today. 
And we really are looking at a pretty big underdog story here because our guest had to build a football program from nothing. And the good news is he had to build a football program from nothing. And the bad news is, well, he had to build a football program from nothing. Uh, and he prevailed. And I, I'm looking forward. We've had Teddy Keaton, uh, the head football coach for Allen University. Uh, we've had Teddy on uh, not quite a year ago, uh, but earlier, uh, I believe in January of this year. And uh, pretty remarkable 12 months for Teddy Keaton. So I'm looking forward to having the coach on uh, to talk about how the underdog prevailed. And um, we also have some information uh, that I really want to share about how is success getting up one more time from defeat. And those are little micro defeats uh, when expectations don't meet reality, two major defeats when big expectations don't meet reality. And uh, if you get knocked down, how do you get back up? And it's this kind of grit uh, that I, I believe our entire society was built on, uh, our country was built on this type of success of how the downtrodden, the underprivileged, uh, the little guy uh, still has a shot in a democracy uh, of America. And it's a matter of vision. It's a matter of goals. There is some talent involved, definitely, but there is no talent, really, of getting back up one more time from a defeat. That's just a decision. uh, That's a decision. It's a brave, it's a courageous decision. And uh, not everybody makes that. But if you really want to be successful and you're going after your visions, your dreams, if you have abnormal dreams, you got to think in an abnormal way. And one of those abnormal ways of thinking is get back up. It's an everyday challenge. And all of us have been knocked down. Anybody that's been successful has had those down moments, those times when you know, you got to have that inner dialogue one-on-one, me, myself, and I have a meeting uh, to determine my course of action and literally my life course. So that's what the show really is about. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, also, we have a lot of positive stories going on, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing who's in the zone, who got up one more time from defeat. And... uh, I'm also looking forward to hearing from uh, the listeners. You probably, I'm certain, have a story about how you got up one more time uh, from a defeat and uh, how that may have been a turning moment in your life. These are moments of truth. We've all had them, and uh, some prevail and uh, some don't. Let's go ahead and get our uh, friend Teddy Keaton back on here. Welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. Hey, Teddy. How you doing? Teddy, I am awesome. I'm awesome. I, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Uh, obviously, uh, head coach, football coach, uh, Allen University, uh, a school of only 600 students and um, in Columbia, South Carolina. But, Teddy, you and I met uh, a couple of years ago uh, in Dayton, Ohio. You were a head coach for Stillman down in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, you were the head football coach, and you were playing uh, a football game in Dayton, and I'm in a hotel uh, getting uh, ready to <laughs> give away my daughter's hand in marriage, uh, so she's getting married. So I'm at a wedding party 
and I'm sitting in the lobby, and in walks a group of young men that immediately impressed me without a word being said, and just uh, they looked great, they looked organized, they looked very disciplined, and then uh, I said, so are you all any good? And I was being kind of flippant, are you all any good? And the way that they talked to me with absolute respect uh, and um, manners, I thought, Who, who's running this team? I got to meet this guy. I want to meet the man that's coaching these young men. And that's really how you and I met. And I just approached and introduced myself and uh, told you how impressed I was of your team um, and then I, you gave me the opportunity. I went up and talked to your team. Uh, do you remember that moment? I remember that moment like it was yesterday. Um, I had no clue who you were, and it was just always a good compliment when you see somebody that the commensure of your team. You know your work and your words, are, and all your efforts are going in a good place and good use. Um, you know they always say character measure uh, what you do when nobody else is watching. Um, but I, in your case, it seems like somebody's always watching and always paying attention to how they react and those different things. And it was just a, it was a great time that, at that day. Well, it, it was an honor to meet you. It was an honor and a privilege definitely to address your team before that game. And then, Teddy, your legs got just cut out from under you. Uh, talk about a defeat. Uh, you're sitting on top of the world, head coach, team is on the rise. And the next thing you know, you don't have a team. They pulled the plug because of finances, could not afford the football team, and dropped the program. What was that phone call or that meeting like? That must have been devastating. I think it was probably the worst feeling. It's the second worst feeling in my life. The worst feeling was I got a divorce three years before that time had happened. And I was just getting over that uh, mental hurdle of just trying to live the life being alone and trying to figure out, you know, what I could do next. And I had my team. That was the only thing that kept me going. And after we finished with my team, I mean, we got, we were doing well. We had four out of five winning seasons. They hadn't won that many games in a total of seven or eight years. And it was going really well. And all of a sudden you get that phone call and then you knew you could tell things were going downhill and you kind of get a little depressed and you say, well, damn, what can I do? You know, what, what do we do here to try to save it? And, you know, I think I've reached out to you, a couple other people that I had met about fundraisers and different things of that nature there. And then they pulled the, the plug from under me. And it, it was like, I mean, I was hurt. I mean, it just, it sent me in almost into a, a it, you know, I know why coaches say that if I don't have my team and I don't coach and I'm a coach as long as I can do it, um, because it was almost a depression because for so many years I had waked up, woke, woke up and had a purpose. And that purpose was to, to find a way to win, do different things, coach and motivate young men. And that purpose had been pulled from under my leg. Well, and, and Teddy, also the disappointment of the players. A lot of these players, uh, obviously they made a commitment to your school and uh, they would never have made that commitment. Uh, uh, if if they knew that the program could be pulled out from under them. So, you know, you not only had to deal with your own disappointment, but now you've got an entire squad where they're scrambling now to find a place to play and 
Uh, so that must have been one unbelievable hardship. And uh, uh, how was that uh, addressing your team, telling them, hey, guys, uh, I love you, but uh, you're not on my team anymore. I don't have a team. How was that? That that was the most – that was probably that team meeting the night that I found out and had. That was probably one of the saddest moments of my life because when you got to stand before 100 young men and tell them that, you know, a lot of those guys that was reaching that fifth year, and that fifth year you have a bunch of freshmen in that group, and you imagine at the level of football that we coach, nobody knows much about those institutions. A lot of those places chose to play football for you because of a relationship that you may have with somebody that they trusted, and they trusted you to entrust those kids. So now that I felt that I had let them down, that I had to figure out a way to find a place or home for each one of those kids before I ever took care of myself. I made sure I took care of every kid that was in the program that had an opportunity to go play somewhere else. I did all that homework to make sure that they got somewhere because people won't never remember what you did. They'll remember how you treated them. Well, and you must have also, uh, Teddy, uh, had some mamas that weren't very happy either. <laughs> you know, oh, it- no, you know. You know, it was all my fault, and I never should have let my kid come here. And, and, you know, it's just it's all the, you know, the negativity things that come along when, you know, I've learned in my life to control what you can control. And, 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 and I had no control over that, but I did have control over how, regardless of how people felt, that I was able to move along and get those kids where they needed to go. Well, I, I remember uh, receiving a call from you shortly after that, uh, and you and I try try to figure out how do we resuscitate this. Obviously, it was about money. University needed money. They needed a benefactor. They needed sponsors. And you and I went uh, several conversations. I, I remember volunteered to come down and speak, right? Help you raise money, and and uh, it just wasn't going to happen. The university made a decision. Uh, we're pulling the plug, and that's it. So. Let's fast forward. Um, now, you did get a coaching stint, uh, coaching some, I believe, the running backs. But one year ago, uh, your dream was not being realized of being a head coach. One year ago, um, you knew what you wanted. You weren't exactly sure how to get there. But I remember specifically one year ago, you were unwavering in your faith and belief, in your vision and your dream. Did I summarize that pretty good one year ago? You are absolutely right. I mean, um, during that stint that I was at Miles, I was a little depressed. It's hard to go from being the boss to the lowest man on the totem pole. Um, and, 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 and I always knew, you know, when you know a little bit more than some of the people you're working under, you have to stay humble. And I, and I feel like God put me in that position. to I actually learned something there. I, I think it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. I say sometimes, you know, I say all the time about the, the, the sacrifice that God made for the world. Um, I think the ultimate sacrifice is what are you willing to give up to be successful? I think that matters more than anything in the world. I think that's, that, that's, that, that matters to anything in the world. What are you willing to give up to be successful? And because I spent that time and gave that up, I think I learned a lot. And, and, you know, we talk about being in the zone. I went into a zone that was so deep that I, all I could think about is how can I figure out a way to turn this into a success story? Well, and, and you, you went to bed with a vision. 
of leading a, a group of young men and, and you woke up with that vision uh, and you really made an investment. I, I know abnormal dreams require abnormal thinking and you really sent out the vibe of what you could do, what you could be. And I, I also know, Teddy, you were thinking about leading young men to a place they didn't think they can go. It wasn't all about you. And after you started thinking like that, what happened? You were sending out the vibe. Tell me what happened. Well, I was at practice one day. We had just finished playing a game. It was Halloween night. I won't forget it. I got a phone call, and I had been avoiding the phone call for about a week because I didn't know what the number was, and I definitely didn't know anybody in South Carolina. So I was like, well, who could this be calling me from South Carolina? So finally I answered the phone, and I picked up, and it was uh, the lady said, please hold for President Dr. McNeely. And I and I held, and I went to smile and said, well, who is this? What is he looking for? And, and he called and said, Mr. King, we've been looking for somebody. We want to start a football program here. And we, we, we sought out the best candidates that we could find. And we, 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 we still draw this conclusion that you're the guy that we want to have as our coach. And, and at that moment, I said, well, I got to talk to my mama. I got to talk to my, my, my I had a girlfriend at the time. I, I, I got to speak with a lot of people because, I, you know, I never lived in South Carolina. I don't, I don't know if this is for me. I mean, it's a lot of work to start a football program. From you scratch. Sure the right, you know, take yeah, are you sure you calling the right person? You know, I, you know, I don't know if I qualify to be able to start a, a football program by myself. Uh, he said, "No, we sure you were the head coach at Stillman, and we were very impressed with what you've done there." Which, in my mind, I had thought because the program had let me down, and, I, and then we left. I thought I was a failure. I really thought that I had failed, and I thought that was going to be my last opportunity to coach. But as I said before, you know, character measures uh, what you do when people when you when you know when nobody's around. And I, and I think the vibes that you picked up for my team, I think a lot of people felt it around the country that where I played and, it, and the way my team played with such discipline that other people noticed it. But at the time, it just wasn't the timing for me to get a job. I think it was everything was in God's time. Well, and, and then life uh, went into overdrive. I mean, your girlfriend became your wife in the last 12 months. Am I accurate on that? Are you accurate on that, too? And then, you and then when the president told you the budget and said, here's your budget, go build a football team, what was that thought? Oh, wow, I almost fainted. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was like, are you kidding me? But I, I had, you know, during that time you find God, you find the Lord, and you talk to him, and, and he said that, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected from him, but he gave me a little bit and he said, I always remember this, um, this, this, this Mark nine twenty three. all things are possible if you believe. So I just started taking that mindset that I was going to believe the talks I had had with Jim about staying in the zone. You know, we just focused in on what I had to do, getting zoned in on what I had. Don't worry about what I don't have. Worry about what I do have and see how I can capitalize on what I have. And, and it all just started coming together. Just like it was almost like I, I felt like I didn't have but a small budget, but it never felt like I had nothing. I felt like I had everything. Uh, the players were responding. Coaches reached out to me. Uh, it just was it, it came together so good that I almost I had to pinch myself to make sure I wasn't dreaming. This wasn't one of my 
subconscious thoughts that I was having that I had just bring this up at nighttime that I started a team and, and everything just came together without much hiccup. Let, let's put this in perspective. You've got to select the uniforms. Yes? Yes. You, you've got to decide on, on the locker rooms. You have yes, to recruit an entire team from scratch, which is – I don't know how you do that in a few months. You've got to pick a, a coaching staff. You've got to decide the mission, the vision, uh, the offense, the defense – how are you going to play? And that's a lot to do. And this all happened in a few months. Who was your first yes, player? Who was the first player that you recruited? Do you remember? I, I don't remember exactly who it was, but I do remember the first kid that I signed. The first kid that I signed was Gary Tyner. He was a quarterback out of Charles Drew over in Georgia. He was the first quarterback that I signed. I started off with a, probably a, a list of 200 players, and I narrowed that 200 players down to about 80. And and once I finished, I had picked the best 80 that I felt that would give us an opportunity to have a chance to be successful. And the big component that everybody's harping on right now is that I didn't go get transfers. I got 80 freshmen. That I, I, you know what <laughs> that right there is shocking that you have eighty freshmen. Uh, the good news is they they have an open mind. They've never been to college. They've never been into a college system. So that's good news. Obviously, the bad news they've got no experience, none whatsoever except their high school experience. And there, there's a big difference between high school and college. That gave you a chance to mold this team uh, into a disciplined unit, a focus unit, a confident unit, a unit where there's a purposeful calm, and, and a unit where they eventually love each other. But it also takes coaches. Who was the first coach that you picked up? Tommy Brown. Tommy Brown, 63 years old. He's a legend here in South Carolina. He had just got fired from his job at um, OW High School in Orangeburg, um, South Carolina, and I felt that he was a perfect fit. He was a guy that was well-known in the community. Everybody knew him. He was a legend. He had won like five or six state championships, and he was just on the back end, and I think they were ready to get rid of him. He was disappointed because he had got fired, and he wasn't ready to go yet. So it was kind of like a perfect marriage. I met a guy who was burning desire to prove that he still had it in the coach and that, you know, he, he still could be relevant in this day and age. And um, I hired him and, and we fastly went to work and we got those 80 kids and we started molding them. And, you know, the, the, the motto of our thing is the standard. We have the standard. We have two things we talk about all the time. It's called the standard, the standard and do it with a purpose. Um, when, with what I sold the kids on when I was recruiting them, and I said, hey, wouldn't it be nice to go to college a freshman year and be able to play? I said, also, would it be nice to be able to come back and show your grandkids that you started something, you're a part of history? No matter what happens, your picture will be hanging up somewhere in one of these facilities or buildings that when you're driving along 20 and you're getting ready to go to whatever you may be going to, hey, let's stop by and see Dad. Dad, dad was something. Our granddad was this. I just sold them on the fact that do you want to be a part of history? Wow. 
Do you want to be a part of something greater than yourself? I I I love that. Uh, do you remember your first practice? Yes, it was the most. It looked like a junior high practice. I was. <laughs> they were all over the place. The pants were hanging off of them. They just looked like a mess. They didn't know how to dress. They didn't have proper etiquette. There were not enough older bulls around to teach the younger bulls how to act. So it was a work. The, the hardest part of this was trying to teach them how to practice, teach them what to do, how to do it, and why it's important for them to do it that way. Um, it took me about three days to get that organized, and it took some punishments and some different things to hold up to the standard. And, and, and then they finally whipped it into shape. And now, you know, they, they, they're excellent at practice. They move around well. They understand that the importance of being locked in and being focused about being in a mental zone and staying there and, and understanding that, you know, we have work to do for two and a half hours. Can we lock in? And we always talk about it because they say I have a lot of high energy and I bring a lot of emotions to the game. And I tell them every day before we walk out on that practice field, match my intensity. Wow. Lead by example, and, and I know you've done that. You know, there's another component. You not only bring 80 football players in, you're bringing 80 students in. First time they've ever been to college, obviously. That first semester, first quarter, that, that's typically one of the most difficult. Some students, maybe the first time they've been away from home, although I, I'm sure you have a, a lot of local players, but you had to recruit from all over the region. And you got most of them in summer school. Is that true? How did that go? Well, I got 67 of them to register in summer school. Oh, my goodness. Hold up. Yeah. So you had 80 men on the roster, and you convinced 67 you need to come to summer school. Yes. Wow. Wow. There was a purpose behind that. The purpose behind that was to hopefully teach them for we had them for three weeks was to hope to teach them how to work in the weight room, how to practice, how to line up, teach them a little bit of the offense and the defense, and also get acquainted with living in the residence hall without mom and daddy, getting that class registration, take a few classes to understand the life of college and how to get adapted pretty quick. So when you come here, know that there'll be a schedule that you're going to have to maintain and keep, and I'm going to need you to learn how to you know, know where you're supposed to be, be on time, and, and, and manage the life of a college football player. And I think that helped me a lot. So when I got them here in the fall, at least I had some guys that had already been here. They knew where the classrooms were. They had got acquainted with the professors. They knew where the calf was. They knew where everything was at that we didn't have to hold their hand through the whole process. And, and then you also had to uh, get the community involved. I mean, you're more than just a head football coach. I mean, you're uh, the top PR, uh, one of the top PR uh, people in the university, representing Allen University, 600 uh, students, student body. Uh, so you've had to do a lot of PR work, a lot of media work, and uh, uh, get the community and the school fired up about football. Um how was that? How were you received? Oh, I was received well. I think first, at first everybody was thinking he was an idiot. Who is this guy <laughs> thinking he's going to play football? They don't, have a, they don't have a weight room. They don't have a locker room. They don't have a practice field. They don't have a game field, not a helmet, not jerseys, not no idea of how they're going to play football. 
And I, my hat goes off to the Allen administration, the Bishop um, Samuel Green, uh, uh, Dr. Ernest McNeely for the vision that they implied. It. And we just worked it. We worked it and we, we pet on it. My athletic director, Chad Washington, we all just kind of chopped wood at it. And every day we focused in on the things that we could control and we tried our best to horn in on top of recruiting, building facilities, ordering equipment, um, building a locker room, building a practice facility. We had some hiccups with the, the practice field where we had to try to grow grass. We had people out there trying to grow grass that were contractors, so we had to bring in a company that knew what they were doing about growing grass and, 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 and maintaining the soil. It's been a learning curve for me. I mean, I've learned a lot about, you know, the dynamics of a wall and, and how, where you got to put the studs at and, <laughs> and how the electrical switch in the back matches this one here and how much voltage has got to be here in order for this to work. Wow. And and you, you, you obviously had a football fall schedule. You know, you got to set that up early to get on people's schedule. But you had a schedule before you even had a solidified starting unit. Is that correct? That's correct. Absolutely. And I was really, that's when the newspaper folks thought, these people got to be out of their mind thinking they're going to play. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking to myself, honestly, I slipped back and said, are you crazy, Coach? What are you doing here? And it just felt like, okay, you know, am I going to be able to pull this off? And, you know, and when all eyes are on you, you almost, you, you got to don't worry about everything. I had to put blinders on because everybody was trying to, I mean, I've had cameras with me, the newspaper, videos. I'm talking all the way from July up until this point, I've had a camera somewhere glued close to me watching my every movement. And now... You're undefeated, Teddy. That first game, I remember sending you a text uh, before that game. Allen University bested Columbus State. Drum roll, please. Forty-seven to three in your first collegiate game for Allen University. And how long has it been uh, for Allen uh, to field a football team? How many years? They did have one Third. way back. 13 years ago. Wow. So for 13, 13 years, years, no football program. In a matter of months, you bring in 80 guys, do everything, and, including practice field, uh, where you're going to play, and a schedule. Tell me about that first game uh, when you walked out on the field uh, against Columbus State. How how'd was, you feel? It was surreal. I couldn't believe I had done it. I was I looking around and thinking, we're about to play a college football game. And just here, January the 3rd, 2018, I didn't think I could pull this off. Not only did we play a college game, they played extremely well. You would have never knew that that team hadn't been together but three weeks. They totally dominated the game. They totally played every aspect of it. We scored from every component of our football team we held them to we had actually 398 yards of offense and we held them to 100 yards of offense oh my and goodness. i think every every media outlet and everybody was there to see a failure they thought we were going to get embarrassed they thought it was just going to be whatever but i tell you what when we got there and we started playing i could have cried because i had watched the vision <laughs> 
that started January the 3rd, and I couldn't believe my young men were out there playing. You Mind you, 80 freshmen, and they played like they had been playing together for four or five years. Oh, my gosh. Teddy, you are an inspiration. What you've done in a short amount of time, I mean, this is the epitome. Success is getting up one more time from defeat, and you've definitely had some setbacks. I am so proud of you, and we're honored to have you on the Jim Fannin Show. Teddy, you can come back anytime and uh, and just keep us posted on how you're doing. We're going to be rooting for you. And uh, go, Allen. Go, Allen. Thank you, guys, and I appreciate all the long talk, the, the, the encouragement, um, staying in the zone, the different things that you have taught me over the years. I am, I'm, I'm glad to say it was none but divine and purpose that I met you because um, I think you went through this whole journey with me. Well, I, every step of the way, Teddy, I, I've uh, – and, and and your wife, you know, you, you, that's a let's don't forget the wife, the wife of a college football coach. Uh, my hat is always off to her uh, because she was a girlfriend. And the next thing you know, you're married. And the next thing you know, I don't know how many hours you're spending a day with football, uh, but I know it's in an inordinate amount of time. So uh, congratulations uh, of selecting just an amazing lady to. Uh, to be your wife because uh, I, I know you. she's right there with you every step of the way. I mean, she sat down. She organized all my, my calling sheets. She, she, I, I'm almost soaked up now because I never thought that I would marry somebody that really loved football like she does. I don't think it's more than she That's a blessing. Loves, yeah, I don't think that she loves football. I think she loves me. And, 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 and to make me happy, she was trying her best to make sure I never got overwhelmed from all the work. She would come and she would take my keys and say, it's time to go home. We were spending 16, 17 hours a day, staying up to 12, 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning, convincing kids and sending emails and responding to kids. And it was a lot. And, and I promise you, I, I don't feel like I work the day. You know why? Because I love what I do. Well, that comes through. Hey, I, I've got one more question. <clears throat> Is there such a thing already as a homecoming? Yes, it's November the 10th. We have homecoming. Oh, my and goodness. Oh, that's got – and so the alumni is going to come back. Uh, wow. Some, some are coming back when they didn't have a football team. Some are, will obviously come back when they remembered Allen football that homecoming is going to be special. What's the date on that again? November the 10th. We're November the 10th. Well, yeah. I need to come down and uh, be at one of your games. I'm looking forward to that. I know you've given me an open invitation to come down, and uh, that would be an honor. So i, I got to get that somehow on my schedule uh, to come down and celebrate with you. And uh, I can't wait to talk to your young men. And, you know, there's one thing I know about you. If I saw Allen University men, even though they're freshmen, walking through a hotel lobby today, I know that I would see the same young men that I saw years ago when you were at Stillman. Uh, disciplined, respectful, polite, uh, adult-like, even though there's college students. And, Teddy, that's a reflection on you and your character. Thank you so much for being on our show and giving our listeners uh, – uh, some inspiration that 
Just because times are tough don't mean you're down and out. Success is getting up one more time from defeat. Teddy, you got anything to say as we part? Thank you, Jim. I thank you, Jim. I thank you so much. You don't know. And you're welcome anytime to come by, to stop by, see see what we're doing. And, and I would love for you to address our young man. And I'm very humble that, you know, we have set a standard within our organization that anything that I put my hands on, I tell them all the time that I'm a reflection of my mother. And you, my mother does not like for us to be disorganized. So guess what? I'm going to make sure when I see her that she's happy and that she knows that I'm doing the job that she raised me to be. Well, you're an inspiration, Teddy, and uh, these 80 boys on your team, the young men, uh, they're blessed to be at Allen University. Thanks a lot, Teddy. Good luck in your next game. Go, Allen. Thanks, Teddy. Have a good day. Hey, Zoniacs, you know knowledge is power. Well, there's a new phone app that's going to give you that knowledge. It's called Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, and it summarizes 2,500-plus best-selling nonfiction books and provides key insights that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes, and that's on your phone. Already, there's over 7 million, million people using Blinkist every day to take those insights to become their genuine best selves, and that's what all Zoniacs are about. Now, I like to listen to Blinkist when I'm on the treadmill. I love walking in the woods. Take Blinkist with you. You're not only going to get fit, but you're going to get mentally fit with more knowledge. The Blinkist library is massive, from timeless classics like The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, The Power of Habit, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I want to highly recommend one of them, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Make sure and get that. And you can also go to the current Amazon bestseller list. I mean, Fire and Fury inside the Trump White House, 12 Rules for Life, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. And again, that's on Blinkist. And we got a special offer for you. Go to Blinkist.com forward slash Fannin, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com forward slash F-A-N-N-I-N. You're going to get a free seven-day trial, 25% offer, and you can cancel at any time. So if you're looking to boost your knowledge, gain more insight, check out some nonfiction bestsellers, go to Blinkist.com forward slash Fannin, www.blinkist.com forward slash F-A-N-N-I-N. Get Blinkist. Get in the zone. Wow. So if you've only been listening to the Jim Fannin show for, you know, maybe a couple episodes, and you're like, does this stuff work? Now you can go back and listen to Teddy a year ago when he had nothing but a vision. And then you can look and, and see his undefeated record. Holy cow. Uh, yes, he, he's uh, an impressive man, and uh, he's a leader of young men, and um, it, it's been a privilege to meet him, know him, talk to him, help him, and uh, to see his success. You know, we all get down at some point. There's five performance levels, and all of us go through these five levels. 
And most of the time we go through them on a natural order. Uh, although there is a lot of chaos in these five going from one to the other. Uh, and I, I'd like to walk through these five performance levels. The first one, it's what this show really is about. It's the zone. It's that purposeful, calm feeling where nothing can go wrong. As Teddy said in his first game, it seems surreal, almost slow motion. There is a physical component to this mindset where your eyes can double, triple shutter speed. Um, all the blood's diverted from your stomach. That's the butterflies, really. But that transcends to more clarity because the blood leaves your stomach to the brain so that you do have that clarity, that simplicity. That's when intuition uh, can really come to the forefront. And then the rest of the blood goes to the muscles uh, so that you have inordinate quickness, speed, agility, balance, strength. Um, there's an energy field that expands when you're in that zone state. And the longest I've seen someone in that ultimate state is 33 days. So you can get locked in. It requires a lot of energy, and it can be depleted swiftly. That's why most don't pass that 33 days. And again, that was a record personally with my clients. And I've had many clients that have been in the zone a week, 20 days, 22 days. Um, so to stay in it that long requires energy. The second level is very similar to the zone, but it's very easily disturbed. I call it high score, S-C-O-R-E. And, and that's when you have high level of self-discipline, of what you want, of vision, strategy, tactics, persistence, even patience, high level of concentration, that's narrow focus. And you can tell that Teddy had that narrow focus of what he wanted to do, even when he had many uh, detractors and uh, naysayers that this can't happen. Uh, the third marker in high score is optimism. That's just a belief. I'm doing it. I expect it. I know it. Even when everything else tells you that eh, you might be a little wishful thinking here, but you also need to have some relaxation and some enjoyment. And in listening to this interview, Teddy hit all five of those markers at a high level. That's a high score, similar to the zone, but it doesn't last as long. It's very easily disturbed. And when you're aware that you're in it, but you're not in it anymore, you're, you're now out of it. Then there's your base state. And that base state, I just call it score. How are you? Are you more toward the high in the attitude? Are you more toward the low? Uh, if you've been raised in a positive way, uh, and I believe Teddy Keaton it talked about his mother. I believe uh, the characteristics, uh, the values, pretty well instilled in him. Uh, so even though he was down, even though he, he may have even been depressed, he alluded to that uh, when he had expectations definitely not meeting reality, um, he still had a pretty high score level. And um, so we know people that are more toward the low their base state, the, the doom and gloom, or, oh my gosh, here we go again, that kind of mentality. And then the fourth level is, I just simply call it low score, and that's where there's symptoms um, of going into the worst level, 
and I, I'm going to go right to there and skip low score for right now. I'm going to put that on the table, and that's the downs. And the downs, I, I, I call it the downs 43 years ago because, man, you're just down, and it, it's a downer moment. Uh, it is a mild, can even be a severe depression, and it's an attitudinal quicksand. Seems like the more you try, uh, the deeper the hole you get yourself into. Uh, you have apathy. You have a feeling of despair. You want to give up. Uh, negative self-talk is very prevalent. Um, and I think we've all put our little toe, at least, in that pool called the downs. And uh, again, it's an attitudinal quicksand, and it's highly contagious, uh, just like the zone is contagious. It can spread to where your team is now a zone team, but it can easily spread to where everybody's down and everything's negative and we're all doom and gloom. If the downs is the attitudinal flu, then low score is the attitudinal sniffles. And and what does that mean? Gosh, I'm such an idiot. So that, that comment, that self-deprecating, I'm an idiot comment, that inner dialogue that's definitely not positive, that's a little sniffle that can turn into a full-blown depressed state. You keep that up. You keep talking to yourself like that seven to ten days, it can put you in a quagmire of difficulty. It really can. Uh, one of despair. And, you know, our mom said, Jimmy, you've got the sniffles. Bundle up, have some soup, get some rest. But we don't always pay attention to the mental sniffles, and that's just low score. Um, There's keys right now of you not being disciplined. There's keys right now of you looking around, trying to do too much, having too many balls in the air. These are all little sniffles, little indicators that – you could be on a serious depressed state soon. How about optimism? Well, that's the put down. I'm an idiot. I'm stupid. I can't believe that. Why do I always do that? That kind of inner dialogue, you keep that up, you can easily go into the downs. So those are little mental sniffles. How about relaxation where you feel stress and you Become aware that your breathing's over 20 breaths a minute and that everything seems to bother you. Everything upsets you. uh, And you're just tense. And you worry by going into the past. These are all symptoms if you don't pay attention to it. And again, awareness of these symptoms can fix it and bring you up to a high score or a zone state. Just the awareness that you're not relaxed just the awareness that you really don't have a blueprint or I have a blueprint, but I'm not focusing on the stepping stones that's going to help that blueprint be manifest. So there's symptoms out there right now, keys to low S-C-O-R, and then there's enjoyment where it's not fun and I don't have a pep in my step and I want to sleep a little bit longer And I am apathetic. I am indifferent. Uh, Those are all mental symptoms. 
And, and what I've learned is, especially because of social media, we can go from a high score state, positive mindset, to low score or the downs in the snap of a finger, one tweet, one text, one look at my profit and loss statement that my CFO just put on my desk. And I'm like, seriously, you got to be kidding me. And, and you get blindsided. You never expected that. You prepared differently, you thought. You prepared better, you thought. And now expectations don't meet your reality. So even though it transpired over 30 days before or 90 days, if you're looking at your quarterly report, it's now impacted everything you're about right this second. And you can go from high to low and low to high and high to low 30 40, 45 times, Seth, you can do that in one day. Wow. Up and down. And that's that proverbial uh, up and down roller coaster. That's being on that treadmill, that rat race, they used to call it, where I can't get off. I don't have enough sleep. I don't have enough time. And we talk about, I don't have enough time. I wish I had more time in the day. Check out which level that you're on. The zone, well, that's the ultimate. Sometimes we get into it naturally. Sometimes even reading a book, we can get into that zone state. It takes us away from uh, reality and takes us into a fantasy or takes us someplace that uh, we really like. That's what books can do. Movies can do it. TV shows. Being with other people can do it. But boy, with a lot of negativity... With texting, tweets, email, Facebook, Instagram, we're getting real-time information, even a war breaking out in some part of the world that we don't even know about, but there it is on the screen, some uh, travesty. And if you look at the news, it's pretty negative. You know, they always give that last minute, last five minutes of positivity, uh, a lot of programs like to end on that positive note. Well, they say one positive thing after they said 20 negative things. And um, and I get it. I, I get how it's easy to be negative because so many people around us are negative. So if, if you can go up and down several times in a day, I mean, the good news is you can get back up, but I'm just thinking about each one of us has a, a limited amount of mental energy each day, a limited amount of uh, you know stuff that we can focus on. If you got to get yourself out of the downs or out of a low score, you know, six, seven, eight times in a day, you're, you're kind of sapping yourself down, right? So it, you want to try to stay up. It, it takes a lot of energy. I, I think the key, and it's something that uh, Coach Keaton did, he had a blueprint. He knew uh, the first thing he had was a vision of being the head football coach and managing a team. He never let go of that dream and never let go of that vision. And and then once uh, head coach was given to him by Allen University, I mean, I, I, you got to take your hat off to the president and, and, and their committee that had the faith in this man to say, we're going to put all of our success in Coach Keaton. That's That takes a lot of courage to do that. You make a mistake right out of the gate. Uh, you, you could have some financial setbacks, some uh, you could have some dissension in your own faculty 
uh, definitely you're going to get a lot of flack from the media that you're not successful. Um, success is getting back up one more time from any defeat. But the key for Coach Keaton was he designed a blueprint of how this team was going to be. He saw it in his mind, and then he started doing the daily tasks, one task at a time that led to a goal. What's the goal? We need uniforms. He's going to pick the uniforms. He's going to choose the uniforms. He's going to negotiate the bud, uh, the uh, uh, how much the uniforms are going to cost. When are the uniforms going to be here? Somebody had to do all that, and it was on him to do that. That's just one minor aspect of this entire team. And he alluded to all the other things that he had to do. But that vision, that concentration, that optimism, and, and being comfortable just being him and being comfortable with the timeline that he had. <laughs> yeah, because there's a, a lot of things that could have pulled him into the downs or into a low score level. Uh, you know, he said he had a schedule and didn't necessarily have a team to put on the field. And, uh, you know, you might be tempted to go, oh, I got to call this other coach and be like, you want to you wanna play playground seven on seven football? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't have 11 guys. We yet. only have 22 guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, he just kept marching forward day after day all the way through his first victory uh, from nothing. I, I think the other thing that helped him, quite frankly, was last Saturday was D-Day. Uh, in January, once that schedule came out, he knew what he had to do and when he needed to do it. And that goes back to goal setting. You, you want timelines with your goal setting. I will do this on this date. And it's self-imposed. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's placed on us. You need to have this done by this date. Maybe your boss or maybe a committee or maybe the overarching team has those uh, timelines like Coach Keaton. But I I really recommend put deadlines. That creates good stress if you allow it to be good stress. But you know what you got to do and when you got to do it. And um, I believe that helped him by having that. Yeah. And um, uh, so I'm, I'm recommending everyone, whatever your goals are, have a due date, work backwards, which Teddy Keaton did, B to A. He saw fielding a team last Saturday, months ago, and he saw that team performing at a high standard. In fact, he made standard one of his mottos throughout the year. We're going to reach a minimum requirement for a solid, satisfactory performance according to him and according to his team, reaching a high daily standard. And uh, that's how you really chip away and make things happen. We all get down, uh, Seth. Um, I've been knocked down in my life. My parents were knocked down in their life. And I believe everybody listening We've all been knocked down. Success is getting up immediately one more time. It's easier to get up with a vision pulling you instead of pushing your way out of uh, that uh, uh, desperation. Having a vision, it'll pull you through obstacles, uh, through challenges. Uh, But the key 
is being unwavering in positivity. This show is about extreme positivity. It's about uh, waking up happy. It's about dealing with challenges every single day. And it's about going to bed happy. And there's a lot of people right now uh, that have really adhered to this type of philosophy, and they've been very successful. Uh, Let's turn to the news because there's some successful people out there. I want to give a shout-out to John Millman. It's a 55th-ranked tennis player. And um, going up against the great Roger Federer, who I love, and um, Federer served poorly. This is at the U.S. Open, going on right now. Uh, And now Federer is upset by unknown John Millman. So Millman obviously had a vision. He knew what he could do. And uh, he has knocked out one of the greatest of all times. Um, First time uh, Federer's ever been uh, knocked out by somebody outside the top 50. First time in his career uh, at a U.S. Open. Yeah, and Millman was adamant for the few people who were paying attention. He was not going to be intimidated by Federer. So he walked in with a champion mindset. Uh, A champion mindset, no question. Now he's going to go up against uh, Novak uh, Djokovic uh, in the quarterfinals. Uh, Millman's never made it past the third round at at a Grand Slam until uh, until now, uh, actually last week, and um, it's pretty pretty impressive. So good luck to John Millman. You got in the zone, and you made a major upset at the U.S. Open. Up next... uh Rafael Nadal, a what, what, five-hour match at the U.S. Open that lasted until 2 a.m. Well, there's one person you don't want to uh, play a five-hour match uh, with or against, and that's Rafa uh, Nadal, who definitely has got mental, physical, uh, and emotional stamina. Uh, yeah, that was an epic quarterfinal match. Uh, I've actually coached an epic quarterfinal match. Uh, I was coaching Adriana Panada, I believe it's 1978. They said that is, that is one of the greatest tennis matches in U.S. Open history. Uh, it was five sets. It was at center court. And uh, we did lose to uh, Jimmy Connors, eventual U.S. Open champion. That was epic. And I will tell you, after five sets, uh, that's just watching as a coach. I was emotionally spent. Uh, but I suspect uh, Nadal will get right back up. Uh, he outlasted Dominic Team. Uh, that was an epic five-setter. Five-hour match, didn't finish till 2 a.m. Uh, New York time. Uh, and here's the amazing thing. Nadal got pasted 6-0. I mean, blasted. I don't know anybody that's taken a set off of Rafa Nadal 6-zip. Not a game. So Nadal wins the match 06, 6-4, Two players combined for 129 winners, 75 for team, 55 for Nadal. Actually, team won uh, six more points overall than Nadal. So the key is winning the right points, and it's also about making less mistakes. Nadal is now advancing, and uh, he is 
formidable. Uh, that should take a lot out of him, but this is Rafa Nadal. He will bounce right back up from any energy he expended. And uh, LeBron James, he is having quite the summer here. Uh, and, you know, he, he opened an entire school, and he just kind of randomly showed up at another school and just said, you know what, guys? I'm going to go ahead and cover your gear, your shoes, and your locker room, and didn't make a big deal out of it. You know, you always say that uh, your favorite word is next, right? And so he just kind of popped into New York City at uh, Christ the King High School uh, on Tuesday morning and said, hey, uh, here's your uh, new locker room. Well, here's he, your gear. he teased uh, the, the school uh, on Instagram before he showed up uh, with the uh, – colorway shoes and jersey that was on his uh instagram then all of a sudden he just shows up at the gym uh this guy is uh definitely in the zone he's giving quite a bit he's been pretty blessed uh blessed with great talent uh but also uh he's been blessed with uh, a, a lot of money and and he's definitely sharing and giving and uh lebron you're in the zone you know, and I also think that maybe this is going to contribute to his success on the court because he's staying in the present so much. If you're helping this many other people, it's really hard to be stuck in the past. And, you know, you could definitely make a very strong argument for the fact that uh, uh, he really was let down by his teammates. Uh, he had a phenomenal finals performance and they just could not get there. So, you know, obviously he's on a new team now and he's got new challenges ahead of him. And he can either get stuck on the 2018 finals or he can be in the present. It seems like he's finding ways to do that through giving. Well, I believe giving is really one of the most selfish activities you can do because typically when you give either a helping hand or you give some cash, uh, you give some time, you give some energy, whether it's to a neighbor, whether it's to a nonprofit, you're going to get so much back from that, so much benefit. And, um, I've always said giving is a selfish activity. Uh, and speaking of giving, last year, people gave more than ever before to charity. Annual donations, Seth, reportedly up 5% overall, $410 billion uh, to nonprofits. And that's largely because acting generous uh, is both uh, – in vogue, uh, based on this story, obviously, with, with LeBron. Uh, and it's also a good way to take advantage of some tax write-offs. So let's don't forget that. But I think the ultimate uh, giving is, is something all of us can do. We don't have to have LeBron money to donate and to give. And you don't even have to give money. You can give your time. Uh, you can give your charity. Um, yeah, and sometimes that just looks like stepping out your front door and being you. You know, what amazes me about this 94-year-old veteran that we want to spotlight here, his name's Wally Richardson. You know, I've heard people say, oh, man, I'm retired. I just don't know what I have to do now. Or I just, you know, I went through something. I just don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And I always think, I bet it would take you five seconds <laughs> to come up with something that you could do that's good for other people and that, that you could find purpose in. So Wally Richardson of El Dorado Hills, California, uh, he lives outside of Marina Village Middle School. And for the last 10 years, he actually gets out there and cheers the students on and gives them life advice uh, to the point where kids ask to be like dropped off, like away from school so they can walk by and talk to him. Uh, well, it's even gone further than that. There's now a mural on the school wall 
filled with uh, some of Wally's most precious bits of wisdom uh, so I can serve hundreds of kids, uh, hundreds of students in the future. Uh, at, there's kids in college who still remember and benefit uh, from the advice uh, that Wally Richardson ha- has uh, provided. Uh, shout out, Wally Richardson, you're in the zone. He's a veteran. Speaking of veterans, I'm going to be in Lockport, Illinois this coming weekend, and I'm excited because it is a reenactment of World War II. There's going to be uh, pyrotechnics. uh, There's going to be tanks. uh, There's going to be nurses uh, pulling people off the battlefields. If you've never been to a a Civil War or World War II reenactment, you're going to be in for a treat. Again, this is Lockport. It's with the Lockport Park District, Lockport, Illinois. Uh, go early. Uh, I believe uh, at 1130 this coming Saturday, uh, that's when the festivities and uh, the battlefield reenactment begins. It is amazing. There's going to be thousands of people out there watching. It's uh, a benefit for all the veterans, so I'm going to go out and do my part and uh, – Uh, see what's going on and really get part of this reenactment to celebrate all the great veterans that we have in this country. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we have listeners all over the world uh, for the Jim Fannin show. So you're probably not going to make it in from Australia. But, uh, you know, if you're in the Chicago area or it's drivable, very, very cool event to check out. And you want to talk about being in the zone. You know, I've seen events like this. You are in the present the whole time. Uh, Well, you are. I mean, you're literally in the battlefield and there's encampments of uh, Russians and Poles and Germans, and uh, there's every side of World War II. Uh, so it's going to be pretty awesome. So I'm looking forward to, to going out there and being part of this, uh, looking forward to it. Success, it's getting up one more time from defeat. Put that thought in your head. Carry that around with you. And that only applies to you, but it applies to your children, to your significant other, to your co-workers. Yeah, we get knocked down. We get ambushed. We often have our expectations not matching the reality. Those are defining moments. I think this really defines your character of what you're really all about. But I know it's easier to get up with a vision of positivity some vision that's going to pull you out of bed. It's going to pull you into the workforce if you've been laid off. It's going to pull you with a happy face when you go out for a job interview. It's going to help you find the next customer after you've lost the biggest one your company's ever had. And it's easy to wake up and go, wow, what do I do? Well, instead of having negative self-talk and being a victim, or being a judge, Coach Teddy Kitten could have easily worn the cloth of a victim or a judge, but he did not. He decided, I'm going to put on the cloth of a champion, a true champion in all aspects. Uh, again, thanks, Teddy Keaton, and uh, let's go to the Zone Cafe. I was going to say, you know, we've talked about bouncing up and down between uh, the zone and the downs, and if this is your very first episode, you're like, oh, well, 
That's good news, I guess. What do I do about it? Well, here's what you're going to do about it. Well, there's five markers, uh, as we've talked about, that we all possess. And uh, when we have a high standard of each of these five, uh, that zone mindset where everything is possible, where things start clicking, everything gets in sync, sales increase, uh, happiness increases, relationships bond, where one plus one now equals three or more, not just two. Um, that zone's the only place to be. So we have a zone cafe where we're cooking up big batches of self-discipline, the willingness, the commitment to stay with the task, to reach a well-defined goal. So if you need some of that, Seth's cooking some up in the back, and uh, we've got uh, a big vat of concentration. Maybe you need to focus on just one thing, one at a time. Quit trying to juggle too much stuff trying to be it all and do it all. Uh, focus, narrow your focus, have a timeline. But maybe, maybe you need optimism. You know, maybe you've been having some doubts. Maybe, maybe you don't trust your instincts. Possibly you've lost a little belief. Maybe expectancy has evaporated and that sense of knowing that served you well in the past Maybe it's in another zip code. So if you need some optimism, a belief and expectancy that the task will lead to that vision and goal, come on, we got a giant bag of this in the back. Put that in your car and drive off. But maybe you are disciplined. Maybe you do have a blueprint. Maybe you're working long hours, 12 hours a day, 14. Maybe you're 16. Maybe when you go to sleep, and you wake back up, it's like, wow, I, I can't believe I, I'm back at work again. Maybe that's on your plate right now. You might need some relaxation because uh, working like that is going to be short-lived. It's going to be short-term. You're going to spend so much energy, something bad, negative is going to happen. So if you really want peak performance, you got to have some silence between the notes, and um, you got to learn to turn your brain off need to learn how to stay out of the past. And you need to get control of your breathing, your sleep, and just your peacefulness of being who you are. So if you need some relaxation, we got a huge, cool, refreshing, giant drink of relaxation. But maybe you've got pretty much all of it. But you wake up one day and you go, you know, I'm not having any fun. Uh, I'm not having any fun at all. And all of a sudden, you realize you've been devoid of smiles. Uh, you don't have that little pep in your step. Maybe you need a little dopamine to, you know, to get you started, a little shot of adrenaline. You heard Coach Keaton say, man, he's got passion. You got to love what you do. You got to do what you love. But sometimes you can work so much, put in so much energy that you wake up and you're not having fun. I, I had one of my minor league baseball players I'm coaching mid-season tell me, I'm just not enjoying this. And why was that? He was thinking too much about his batting average. He was thinking too much about all the things he needed to do to be better. And it really got overwhelming and life got a little complicated. And when that happens, that's not fun. So maybe you need some music. Maybe you need to listen into our Jim Pedrick uh, show from last episode where you got a little bounce, you got a little musical soundtrack, you're in life, you're, 
you're laughing more, you're having more fun. And if that's what you need, just the awareness of it can take you to the next level. Seth, what do you need? You, you get to order. Now, you can order anytime, not just on this show. Hopefully, you'll do this little score check on a regular basis. But right now, what, what what's up, Seth? You know, I'm going to go ahead and order enjoyment because this week's great. It's really full, and it would be really easy to get pulled down and say, oh, man, I, I you know, I've just got so much going on. Or I could say, man, this is where I wanted to be a couple years ago. This is beyond where I thought I might be a couple years ago. And, and look that I'm here. You know, in a lot of ways, you can be successful and not it's it's wasted in some ways if you're not mentally enjoying it. Uh, so I'm going to go with enjoyment. What's going on in your life? Well, I, I have a blessed life. First of all, I, I'm uh, I, I'm definitely blessed uh, with the life that I've had. I'm going to go with self discipline. I'm very disciplined in nature. Uh, I do have a blueprint, but I'm going to go with self-discipline because I know so many of my clients need that right now. Uh, summer's over. The fall is here. Third quarter, we're in the midst of the last month of the third quarter. And the next thing we know, I'm telling you, the fourth quarter, blink. It'll be over. Yeah. October, November, December. If you... Take all of the holidays and and get them out of the fourth quarter, you're going to see that uh, there's not a lot of time left. And um, and then there's a transition into winter. Um, and then we need to get prepared, obviously, um, for 2019. It's self-discipline for me, Seth. I, I'm getting a lot of calls right now of companies that – uh, would like to do a retreat. I'm going to New York next week uh, to do a, a, a dinner talk to a group of CEOs uh, talking about planning for 2019. Uh, you got to look over the horizon. You got to be the best you can be right now. There's no question about it. We need to be in the now. But without a blueprint, especially for next year, I, I'm just telling everyone the best of the best. They're already looking forward to 219. Many Fortune 100 companies, they've already prepared 2019. They already have a budget. So I am challenging everyone, listen, if you've got a company uh, and you're the CEO and you're the president of this company or you're the just the sole owner uh, of your small business or medium-sized business, yeah, you've got to pay attention to the daily grind. There's no doubt about that. Keep your eye on the ball. But you got to carve out some time to plan, to have a blueprint. Finish the third quarter strong, no doubt. But it's never-ending if you're in business. What have you done for me lately? That's what your company screams at you if you own it every day. What have you done for me lately? You can rest on your laurels, uh, but not very long. Self-discipline. Uh, the more disciplined I can be with my clients, the better I can help them become disciplined. Hopefully it's contagious. So they can close out uh, the second half of this year and uh, get ready for the greatest 2019, the greatest year they've ever had in their lives. That's my quest right now. And we always wrap up the show on the same thing. And that's because we want to keep you up in those upper levels of performance and not dipping down to a low score level. Yeah, and, and if you have any questions, if you have any comments, please send it to askjim at jimfannon.com, A-S-K-J-I-M at 
J-I-M-F-A-N-N-I-N.com. Also, follow me on Twitter. I am coaching. I'll tweet two or three times, uh, possibly a day. But I am tweeting at definite times. Sunday night, I send out a tweet to have your greatest week ever. Just a little reminder. So if you'd like that little extra coaching, uh, check me out uh, at Jim Fannin on Twitter. Send us some feedback. Uh, and maybe you'd like to be a guest on the show. Maybe you got something to add and to share. We'd love to talk to you. Seth will definitely uh, uh, get you on the phone and, and talk about your visions, your goals, and and maybe we can have you on the show. So I, I'm excited, and I want to say thank you to all of our sponsors. Uh, we've had some great sponsors this past summer, and we're looking forward to some great sponsors in the fall. And right now, everybody, be in the zone because it's the only place to be. Have an awesome, awesome week. This is The Crush Report with Jeff Crushell. We've made great progress when it comes to improving player safety in sport. We spoke with Dr. Martin Morazic about some of the strategies and rule changes. Yeah, for sure. And I, I know some of those real changes uh, come with their share of controversy. And I think developmentally, uh, the research is really kind of mounted to suggest that, you know, younger kids who are exposed to the direct he- uh, head contacts, it's just not a good thing. Now, the other side of it is just the skills that go into that, you know, and that's why I think Hockey Canada has, has done a really good job of suggesting that, you know, for some levels of hockey as they get into their teen years, uh, that body checking is, is still fine um, as long as there's other parameters in place. So I think there is a lot of wisdom to that. Again, we, we want to be careful not to regulate the human behavior too much. I mean, in the NFL, when they brought in the, uh, the targeting the head rule, then we saw a sudden increase in knee and uh, leg injuries the next year or so. Human behavior is complex, especially in a very quick sports like hockey and football. Again, it tells us that there's a commitment to really address this issue. And I think the positive thing that I've seen is that it's, it's not just looking at let's get concussions out of the game or reduce concussions. It's about all those important variables that if we keep athletes healthy and happy, that it really is in their best long run to keep playing sports. Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. If you're a serious athlete, a weekend warrior, parent, or coach, join us each week as we investigate the latest trends and research coming out of the sport performance world. We'll visit with top athletes, coaches, and sports scientists to keep you on the cutting edge and to find out what it truly takes to achieve human maximum performance. You can visit us online at crushperformance.com and Crush Performance Radio with me, Jeff Kershell, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and at Radio Influence.